about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Unusually this week, uh, I'll, I'll explain why in a second, I'm just going to move to the sermon now. Because over these, by the way, I forgot to introduce myself before, my name's Andrew, I'm the senior minister here, so sorry if you've been wondering who I am, there are, that, that, that is who I am. Um, over these weeks in January, we're looking at the Gospel of John. Um, believe it or not, since I arrived as rector a few years ago, we've worked through almost all of John's Gospel. And we only have a few chapters left. But in order to make it, we need to do four chapters in the next two weeks. That's one thing I've decided, one reason I've decided to do things a little differently. Uh, I'm going to incorporate the Bible reading into my sermon today and read through two whole chapters. Um, actually, that'll be most, the main thing is, is the reading. You'll want to have a copy of it before you. Um, there are Bibles in the pews, you can get it on your phone. Uh, maybe at BibleGateway.com. There are also, at the, this end of each of the pews, there's two or three copies of John 7 and 8. So if you look to your right or to your left, whichever it is, you can get like a, a paper version. I'm hoping that between phones, Bibles and those, everybody can see the text if they want to, which I hope you do. It's not just pig-headedness, though, that makes me want to read through this. It's also because, and mainly because, there are themes that run through these whole chapters and we can benefit from seeing them unfold. Sometimes it's good to focus on just a verse or two, um, but it's also good sometimes to take in a wide vista because you can catch sight of different things. In this case, what we see when we take in the whole of chapters 7 and 8 is the remarkable power of Jesus' speech. These chapters tell about a series of skirmishes between Jesus and the Jerusalem leaders during the Festival of Tabernacles. And we see Jesus provoking his hearers and them struggling to respond, and things get more and more intense until they end with Jesus escaping while they try to stone him to death. Running through all of this are a cluster of themes to do with truthfulness and authority and the power of speech in both chapters 7 and chapter 8, Jesus makes a powerful claim that he is a truth-teller. Here they are from chapter 7 and chapter 8. He who seeks the glory of the one who sent him, Jesus says, is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. And in chapter 8, he will say, me, just talking about himself, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. There's a claim here about authority too, what Jesus says here, he says again and again in these chapters that his words have weight because he has heard them from God. So these are the threads we're going to follow as we read these chapters. They end up being, I think, pretty challenging. Uh, so let's read them. What I'm going to do is read and then pause here and there to make a few comments and then draw some short reflections at the end. You will notice that I don't read chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. Uh, that's because most scholars think this is a section that's been added in later. I think it's probably a genuine story about Jesus, but it's not part of the main story 
here, so I won't read it. Okay, let's begin. Chapter 7, verse 1. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore Jesus told them, My time is not yet here. For you any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I'm not going to up to this festival, because my time has not yet fully come. After he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he's a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. These first verses, just to pause for a second, set the scene. They also highlight the question of Jesus' truthfulness. Jesus' own brothers accuse him of not being candid, not being open, willing to stand up to scrutiny. If you want to be known, they say, why are you hiding? Go on, get out in the open. The translation there wants to become a public figure in verse 4. That's not the best translation because it makes it sound like Jesus is you know, aiming to become a celebrity. Um, but the Greek word paresia there just means openness or publicity. It can mean boldness. It's the same word used in verse 13 where it says publicly. So the issue is not whether Jesus is a well-known person, you know, big Instagram profile, but whether he's bold enough to be exposed, to, to have what he's saying stand up to scrutiny. Now, pretty strikingly, Jesus' response is not straightforward. He says he isn't going, but then later he does. It troubled early Christians so much that actually some of them put the word yet into the text so that Jesus says, I'm not going up yet. But I don't think Jesus is actually being dishonest here. Um, I'll come back to that. But it, he's, I don't think he is being dishonest, but it's not a great look, is it? And I think that's on purpose from John. Because in the flow of the narrative... This response highlights the question being raised about him. The accusation is that he is a deceiver. Is he? Well, the story that follows is Jesus' answer, so let's press on from verse 14. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. 
Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you were all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances and instead judge correctly. Hello, Harper, coming down to join us. Oh no, different one. It is Harper. We'll pause there. It's a perfect moment, actually. You know, the miracle Jesus is referring here when he says, I did one miracle, is recorded back in John chapter 5. You might have been with us. It took place in Jerusalem. It was a healing on the Sabbath. And that's the last time the Jerusalem people have seen Jesus. So now Jesus is kind of taking up the fight. We see here the central claim Jesus will make in these chapters. His claim is that he speaks the truth because he speaks under authority. Verse 16, again, have a look at it there. My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. He is speaking as one authorized. And he seeks the glory of the one who sent him. Now, Jesus' hearers think he's crazy when he says they're trying to kill him. But the very next words show that he's, he is exactly right. Let's keep reading from verse 25. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, there's that word again, and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I'm from. I'm not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Still many in the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you for only a short time, and then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, You will look for me, but you will not find me, or where I am, you cannot come? So here we see the contest over Jesus' authority heating up. He is speaking publicly, boldly. And nobody's doing anything about it. But this can't be right, they think, because they know where he's from. They know his background. There is nothing in his family or his context that makes this make sense. How could he be the Messiah? 
Now, this is not quite right. There is actually a fact about Jesus' background that they don't know here, as we'll see. But for now, Jesus is just happy to accept this because, he says, his authority doesn't come from himself. It comes from the one who sent him. And he is true, he says in verse 28. And Jesus says, this is going to be proven because I will return to the one who sent me. My authority comes from a place that you cannot know. That theme is going to come back, so let's press on. We're at verse 37 now. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Messiah. Still others asked, How can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not Scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants, and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived. Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees, who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees or of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it, and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Jesus' words came with majesty. They made people think that this guy really was the promised one, but others were cynical. The Messiah is from Bethlehem, this guy is from Galilee. The chief priests and Pharisees say the same. We know where he's from. He's from Galilee. You really get the sense, don't you, that they thought Galilee was, you know, pretty lame, like coming from Wollongong or something. Just kidding. Always, there's nothing wrong with Wollongong. If you're from Wollongong, good for you. You know, he's from Galilee. He's from just nowhere. Like, he can't be the Messiah. He can't be anything. He's just a deceiver, they think. I wonder what they would have said if they'd known that Jesus had been born in Bethlehem? Would it have made a difference? But one Pharisee is uncomfortable. Shouldn't we listen to him first, Nicodemus says? And there's a discomfort here because Nicodemus, like the guards that were sent to arrest Jesus, knows that Jesus' words come with a weight that is disorienting, that you can't dismiss. Well, in chapter 8, from verse 12, these themes continue. So stay with it, chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him, Here you are, again, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. 
Jesus answered, even if, I testimony, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put, yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Notice again the issue of authority. Jesus makes a profound statement, an impossibly dramatic claim. I am the light of the world. And the Pharisees challenge him. What right do you have to say this? And Jesus' answer again is about where he is from and where he is going. He can make these claims because, as he says, I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. You think you know where I'm from, says Jesus, but you don't really. You don't understand that I am from God, and my words come with his authority. And again, no one arrests him. I'm sure you've seen that repeated refrain. They can't arrest him. His words are too powerful. Verse 21, once more Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? They asked. Just what I've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is... They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. Again, Jesus says his claims will be confirmed by what will happen to him, where he will go. He will be lifted up. And that will prove that what he says is from the Father. The Father is with him now, he says. He is utterly in his presence, utterly open to him. What I've heard from him, Jesus says, I tell the world, verse 26. People believe him. His words carry some incomprehensible weight. He spoke as one who had authority one in whom there was some dramatic disclosure of truth happening. But Jesus knows this belief can easily break apart. And so he presses further, and here things really get heated, from verse 31. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, 
if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me, because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar. And the father of lies... Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. This is pretty intense, isn't it? There is so much we could discuss, but I just want to notice Jesus' emphasis on truth Do you know, he says the word truth seven times in this short section. I'm a man who tells the truth, he says, and that's why you don't believe me. And he says, you really need to wake up to this, to the way you are being drawn towards resisting my words, even to the point of wanting to kill me. And it is because, he says, you are your father's children, and your father is the devil, who is a liar. And so when the truth comes, you want to kill it. These are some of the most confronting moments in the gospel, I think. And they put to us a very challenging question. Do we really love the truth as much as we think we do? Like, really? Or are we actually strangers to it deep in our beings? These people thought They love the truth. Truth has broken into the world, says Jesus. Which side are you on? And now that finally the confrontation reaches its climax, verse 48, the last section, the Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, 
Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, he is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. I reckon it's very easy to feel that Jesus is unfair on his hearers in this episode. It's almost as if he is deliberately provoking them, pushing them towards resisting him. Why is he so ungenerous? But we need to be careful with that reaction. Because the events show Jesus to be absolutely right in what he thinks is going on. People, in the end, can't just dismiss him as a madman, as a paranoid. They need to kill him. They fail here, not without trying, but in the end, when the time is right, when the hour does come, they do succeed. They hate him. They cannot tolerate his words. And that is really confronting because it makes you wonder whether we too might in reality be much less keen on truth and much less good than we tend to think we are. This is a world of deception and falsehood, of misinformation and carelessness about the truth. Trivially, just think for a moment how normal it has become to click, I have read the terms and conditions. You haven't read them, have you? And now we've invented new technologies to multiply falsehood. Our screens are riddled with images and words created by artificial intelligence and bearing all sorts of dubious relation to reality because what matters these days very often is not whether things are really true, but just their appearances and their effects. You hear Jesus' words, stop judging by appearances. As we notice, this story begins with a moment that makes it look like Jesus is just as much a part of this untruth and appearance as anyone else. I'm not going up to the festival. As I said, I don't think we need to save Jesus here. Actually, it would be perfectly reasonable for him to say that and it be true. He wasn't going up with them for the beginning. Like, I'm not going with you. But then he could change his mind, as people do, or he could plan to go later. But in the narrative, this moment does serve to highlight the question, is he also a deceiver? And the answer is no. There is, in the end, more to truth and lies than appearance. There is really being true. 
And that is what Jesus is, a man of truth, a man who has told you the truth that he heard from God. And he was this because his whole being was utterly open to the Father who sent him and taught him and whose glory he was seeking. That is what Jesus was, a man of utter, perfect truth. We know this in the end. We know this is true because in the end, everything he said would happen did happen. He was lifted up. He was lifted up on the cross, but then was lifted from the grave and ascended to the Father. Just as he said, he returned from where he came. And that means we know that he really did only speak what he saw in the Father's presence, and there was actually nothing false about him. Who of us can say that, that there is nothing false about them? Thank God for Jesus, for he came utterly and completely open to God the Father like a perfect singularity of truth in the world. And he laid down his life rather than giving up that truth. And by doing so, he broke the power of the devil's lies forever. Those of us who believe in him are called to live within that freedom. And how do we do this? We do it, as he says, by holding to his teaching. We become free by living in the truth by opening ourselves to the truth of God that comes through Jesus, the man of truth. Friends, that was a long passage to read. I hope you are left with a whole bunch of things to keep thinking about, but let me finish just with this challenge. Make 2024 a year of renewed openness to Jesus and his teaching. Did you hear that phrase Jesus says before when he says, you have no room for my word. Why not make this a year where you make room for his word? Make more room than you've made before. Because true freedom, true wholeness as a person, true integrity comes not just from ourselves, but from being people of truth. And it is Jesus who can give us that. Because he is the place where truth has exploded into the world. Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.